G'day guys, Luke McElroy from Mets Performance Consulting. Welcome back to another episode of the Physiology Secrets Podcast, joined by Nick Jane Koskis again today. Uh, this podcast episode, a little bit different, a little bit the same, but what, basically what we're going to do is sort of brainstorm out loud uh, the advantages and disadvantages of measuring oxygen only compared to uh, a, a met cart or metabolite cart, which would measure oxygen and carbon dioxide. So a bit of a background to this. Currently, we only measure oxygen consumption, but we are we have very seriously been floating the idea of, of investing in a, a new metabolic cart, which measures both oxygen and carbon dioxide. So this is a very unplanned sort of podcast. Nick and I are just going to chat pros and cons, what we could potentially do with such a machine. And then we want you guys to tell us whether you find any of that stuff valuable. Because we, as I said, we're using this as a bit of a validator. If we have lots of people say, hey, yeah, I'd love to use it for X, Y, and Z, um, then we're more likely to invest in uh, this type of metabolic cart. So I might throw it uh, straight over to you, Nick. Um, oxygen versus carbon dioxide, maybe touching on some stuff you did with Monash the other week. What are some things that we, what are some extra things we can do just by having this carbon dioxide uh, measurement in in the results that we get with athletes? Yeah, so I guess the, the oxygen, measuring oxygen only um, certainly certainly gives you plenty of information. And that that's what we've, we've used for quite a while in terms of um, being able to identify what we need to do from a training perspective. Um, even things like running economy, you can assess because it's purely auction, running economy is oxygen cost of movement. So um, if we put someone on the treadmill at, at their race pace now, and we go away and work on some economy, whether it's going and manipulating their running form or going and doing some, some stuff in the gym or some plyometric type work to, Increase, improve their economy, bring them back in, run at the same pace. Is that oxygen consumption slightly lower? Well, if it is, but we're getting some good numbers here, uh, here and around it, that's like, okay, you can see some economy improvement. Maybe that's also measuring. We talked about a few podcasts ago, the, the super shoes and, and measuring the difference between your standard training shoe and your, your racing shoe. I mean, all of that you can do with just measuring oxygen. Where it gets a bit limiting is that, there's some really critical physiological information you can obtain by measuring carbon dioxide. And what I mean by that is primarily what we call your respiratory exchange ratio, which it fundamentally is the, just the relationship between oxygen consumption and carbon dioxide production that that tells us then some deeper information about whatever the intensity we're outputting. So um, with that RER, typically that value is going to run somewhere between 0.7 and 1.0 typically is going to indicate predominantly fat use or or largely from a fuel perspective, we're we're heavily, heavily reliant on using fats as a primary fuel. There might be a very, very tiny or or very limited carbohydrate contribution, but we're talking lower intensities here. You're you're really easy zone two stuff. You feel like you can do it all day. Um, Whereas all the way up at being able to measure something like a a 1.0 is pretty common of an RER that might be more present at, at threshold or your, your lactate threshold, your functional threshold, where we're starting to really get into higher intensities where carbs are going to have to be a bit more predominant fuel. So, I mean, that already that little insight by obtaining some of that data from just doing a, a normal VO to max protocol is then kind of interesting because if we're having a look at, well, um, where, where is our, where is our maybe our crossover point where we're sort of 50, 50 50 we use a good contribution of fats but we're also using a bit of a good contribution of carbs where are we starting to lean more into the carbohydrate side of things then critically important for long course racing like 
how can we limit potentially here and there and things like Ironman or ultra distance? Um, how can we minimize excessively burning through our carbs early and, and hitting the wall, basically? What, uh, what intensities are we seeing these increases in carb use? There's some really interesting insights you can get by not doing too much different than what we're already doing protocol-wise. It's just measuring this, this other gas. The difficulty with it, though, is that it's not as simple as... Um, it, it'd be nice if it was as simple as just having a machine that we could update, like you update your phone and it's just all of a sudden it's going to measure CO2. There's a lot more complexity to it, hence why it, it does require some more complex um, equipment. And, and that's where... I only recently had a had a couple of clients go and do some, and you might have seen if you're on on our on our email list, you were seeing the call out for for any Melbourne based um, athlete endurance athletes. Uh, there's plenty of research study opportunities to to get some some testing and some it's some of this information from from down at the facility at um, Monash Uni, looking at uh, they're primarily a, a unit based in looking at extremes physiology, so um, high temperature endurance. All, all of that, all that fun stuff combined, which most people would know as Ironman 70.3 ultra distance running. Um, th those types of people, they're, they're really interested in what's happening with their physiology. But with, with this additional information, that they're looking at all sorts of metrics like fat oxidation at different intensities in normal conditions versus high heat. That obviously then plays, around, and carbohydrate tolerance is another one they're looking at at the moment as well. All of that plays a critical role then in, well, what's our fueling strategy going to be like during something like an Ironman where you get to back end of the day, it might be 30 degrees um, or 35 degrees, really hot. That's going to have a pretty significant impact um, on things like fat oxidation. Typically it's going to suppress and what they're sort of finding from, from my conversations with them is that they're finding there's a suppression effect in terms of fat oxidation. Um, where once the temperature goes up, which is then going to obviously mean I'm going to have to start to use more carbs, but then we start to go, well, what are the issues maybe with gastrointestinal upset that might come about using more carbs? Um, what's the fueling strategy then going to have to be like? Because we're probably going to have to fuel up more than what we might in, say, more temperate conditions. So this is where it opens up avenues to really kind of explore all of these extra little things that we know make such a critical difference. And especially, like I said, for long course racing, arguably, obviously you have to do the training and the work, but arguably on race day, I'd, I'd say one of the biggest indicators or biggest influences on your performance is just your, your fueling strategy if you can nail your fueling strategy you're going a long way to ensuring that you're going to pace the race pretty effectively and because ultimately pacing really is just distribution of energy expenditure that's kind of its base foundational definition it's like if i can manage my my energy use and manage my fuel use um the best it's going to be give me best chance to hold the intensity that i want for as long as i can which for most endurance races that have a start line and finish line, it's whoever gets to the finish line the quickest is going to win. And if that fueling strategy is going to play a critical role in, in doing that. Having some of that information is quite useful. So there's so there's so much you can then look at just by having that extra metric. But like I said before, the difficulty is it's not as simple as just updating a, updating a device with some new software. It's it's some more, more uh, complex hardware that's required to be able to do it. But I think the, the trade-off really then is how much of an impact can this make? And, and through some of the, some of the, the athletes and, and even you an athlete quite a couple of years ago down to most do some similar testing. And I know quite a few of the, the clients that we, we've had in recently are getting involved in some of these studies to get some of this information ready for next season. So or this coming season, Geelong 70.3, Melbourne 70.3, Ironman early next year um, can be really invaluable to just unlocking some extra race time 
Um, if anything, if we can minimize some gastrointestinal upset by understanding our fuel use better, that's a that's a huge win when it comes to long distance racing. Yeah, spot on, mate. I've been, been frantically writing down notes um, as, as extra discussion points here. So I try. I think in my head, the summary between oxygen only versus oxygen and CO2 is oxygen only gives us everything we possibly need to know about physiology. VO2 max, you can measure your lactate, no problem. You can measure your training zones, your physiological strengths and weaknesses. When you add CO2, you're getting a lot of more information about metabolism. So nutrition, fat versus carbohydrate, food intolerances, um, uh, the, the amount of fat you're using versus the amount of carbs you're using, the amount of fat versus carb you're using after you take a gel or after you take a banana or after you have a jam sandwich, all these things affect your fat metabolism. Uh, and therefore, the same thing. Fat, if fat goes down, carbs go up and, same, and vice versa. Um, just quickly to touch on, on how they get this, this respiratory exchange ratio, it's the volume of carbon dioxide that you're breathing out divided by the volume of oxygen that you're breathing in. So what that would mean is, as so Nick mentioned 0.7 before, like what does that mean? A 0.7 RER would indicate that 100% of our fuel is coming from fat. And for that to happen, we'd have to be breathing in, I'm just doing the math now, hang on. You'd have to be breathing in 700 mils of carbon dioxide to 1000 mils of oxygen. So you're breathing in more oxygen, expelling less carbon dioxide. When you metabolize a fat molecule, you don't produce much carbon dioxide. It's some, but not as much. When you metabolize a carbohydrate molecule, it's a one-to-one -one ratio. Yeah, 1000 mils of oxygen would be 1000 mils of CO2. So more, car more carbohydrates, it means more carbon dioxide produced. And that's how they figure out what you're using. If, it's a, if you have your RER of one, you have to be using 100% carbohydrates because it's a one-to-one -one ratio, whereas it's a one-to-point-seven ratio the other way around for fat. So again, a bit of numbers, but basically that's how they figure it. How much oxygen are you breathing in? How much CO2 are you breathing out? That will determine your fat-to-carb ratio. 0.85 is 50-50 contribution. Now, the reason it's so tricky, as Nick was saying, you can't just update your system. Oxygen is very easy to measure. There's 20, out of all the air we breathe in, 21% of it is oxygen, whereas CO2 is between 0.3 and 0.4%. All right, So not even half a percent of the air is CO2. So it's a very fine, it's, it's a fine thing to, to, to measure. And there, there's the reason we're sort of like, hey, do we invest in this or not is because it's a, it's a buddy big investment. It's more than $50,000 to invest in this because you can get the crappy lower end models which we've trialed we've in the tried, past yeah it's bloody rubbish like it's because it's such a fine calibration like yeah. if you if you said hey let's calibrate this oxygen and instead of 21 percent, it was 21.2 percent, whatever that's pretty that's still pretty accurate yeah? yeah but if you go hey let's 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 calibrate this co2 and instead of 0 0.3 it's 0 0.6 that's a 50 percent difference that's a yeah. massive change yeah. in the calibration and and i had i had somebody send me through some data within the last month and it had um it was using oh, oh, i'm going to name them it was pinoe and uh, it's a very lower end six thousand dollar unit it has co2 it measures co2 but you don't necessarily have to to calibrate the gases and he was doing it was actually doing a walking trial his rer was between one and 1.4 1.4 is physically impossible <laughs> one to 1. 1.4 the whole way throughout the test so saying that i'm walking and i'm using i'm at such a high intensity that i'm using 100 carbohydrates and somehow at the end this is actually during rest it was during the epoch so after they finished the trial somehow he's using a, a, an impossible amount of carbohydrates so 
I guess what we're saying is that if you're going to do it, you've got to do it right. So that's the the, the higher end proper gas analyzer, uh, proper calibration. It, it's a very it's a very delicate thing to calibrate, um, but when done properly, it gives you really really good advice. When done poorly, really puts you on the on the uh, yeah, it, it stuffs you around. Anything, yeah, doesn't give you anything, but it could be detrimental as well because it's saying that you need to have this many carbs. Whereas, hang on, I'm just jogging. I shouldn't need that. So you got to get you got to get it very accurate. Yeah, and arguably that's the hardest part of the process is the calibration. I mean, to, to give a bit of insight to, to what we currently do with oxygen, because we have, I guess, any any tool of measurement or any device is going to have some form of error. Uh, and you just want to try and minimize that error as best you can, but you have to accept that there will always be some form of error. But like I mentioned before, it's like when we're dealing with a much bigger percentage, like, 20, like 21% of the air is oxygen. Like there's, there's, a, there's a lot more we can play with with a bit of that error. Um, once you, once you start, yeah, once you start playing with small numbers, if the errors, particularly if the error is like quite large, if the error is, if the error was 0.4%, we're only looking at 0.4% of the error anyway. Like that's, that's enough to just like, it's, at that point, you're looking at it going, it's probably not even worth looking at. Cause I just can't be confident I'm getting much accuracy here. And then the insights you gain, like you said before, that example of someone walking and having an RER of one is. It's something that, I mean, we saw some of that data as well when we tested, I mean, that particular device. Um, and like a good good for companies to try and innovate and, and create new ways and make, make some of this type of information hopefully more accessible. But I think there's a long way to go before it can get to a point where we're going to get the accuracy. Whereas auction consumption, much easier um, to do. And I mean, even with some of the more portable devices, if we look at the oxygen only portable devices, um, We've got one of those that we play around with every now and then and it's and it's it does a really good job again because the the margin of error um yes if okay there might be a little bit more error than a typical vo2 setup looking at just option but we're not that error is not skewing our data significantly it might be little little point two of a cent here and there but that's that's still going to give us some insight because it's all relative to that device so that's that's where it does get tricky um but I think, yeah, it, like like I said, that, that's the trade-off. It's like you, you want to make sure that this type of information is critical because, or, or, or critically accurate, because it's going to be such a huge impact. Like the the training side of things, like we we can already get really good accuracy there. But ultimately, I mean, if we're playing with particularly carbohydrate ratios, and maybe that's something we can talk a bit further. But trying to work out if someone can should be taking sixty grams an hour or ninety grams per hour or somewhere in between, or maybe a bit higher than ninety grams per hour. That, that has a massive bearing on how your race goes, um, particularly if you can nail that down through some of this testing and understand it a bit more um, and some further testing in terms of looking at things like malabsorption rates and, and that with some additional add-ons to this type of equipment. Um, that, that's, that's saving not just take, taking a gel and not feeling too great. It's, it's like, well, I'm now going to be nailing a nutrition strategy that's going to allow me to keep hold pace for an extra... 15 to half 15 minutes to half an hour in some cases like that's a huge gap particularly for the the amateur racer but especially for the elite guys but but particularly the amateurs who i mean we hear it all how, how often do you hear gastrointestinal upset was one of the main causes of yeah. a, an average race result particularly in 70.3 ironman maybe marathon but but commonly the ultra stuff happens quite a bit but if you can solve that problem i mean Add on the training side of things. You're covering you're covering off 
more of the things that could go wrong. Prepare for the worst case scenarios is always sort of a mindset I like to have because when it, when it does, when it comes together, it's like, well, you, you're going to be racing at your absolute best. Yeah, no, you spot on. I think, I think this really does, it, this pretty much makes it a, it, it would make it as a one-stop shop for, for endurance racing. Like it really would. You'd have your oxygen, oxygen consumption to get your VO2 max, to get your training zones, to get your strengths and weaknesses, to get your, your training programs, essentially. Like here's your training sessions. But then you've also got the metabolism side so you can figure out percentage of fat and carbohydrate at different intensities. Really important, as you said, for the longer distance. Anything above two hours when you need to eat, um, it ticks that box too. So fat versus carbohydrate percentages. You could, you could experiment with different types of food and what effect that has on your fat burning, the amount of you know, nutrition that you need, the timing of the nutrition, uh, the, 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 G, uh, so the, the glycemic index of that nutrition. So do you want it to be really sugary or maybe less sugary for you and how that affects your fat burning? And then, as you said, with a small investment in something else, you could figure out the, the intolerances as well. So... Yeah, I mean, we've sold ourselves on it, but we're sort of throwing it open to, to the public. Is I think the question is, is the metabolism side of endurance racing crucial to you? Do you need to know types of nutrition, amount of nutrition, um, your, your fat max or percentage of fat versus carbohydrate at different intensities? Is that valuable to you? And if it is, what do we need? To, we need to send, are we going to put a, let's send it, nah, We'll put a survey in. Let's do it. We'll put a survey in the in the description, just with a couple of questions. And if we have enough interest, we're going to do it. So, as I said, we're not going to do it half ass. We're not doing this crappy five k machine. We're going full whack fifty plus. Because um, as Nick said, you say it's, it's simple maths. If you've got twenty one percent oxygen and you and it ends up being twenty point twenty one point two, that's a one percent change. If you got zero point zero three and it goes to zero point zero six, that's a fifty percent. That's a hundred percent difference. That's a huge change. So oh, we're going to do it with, properly. Yeah, it's the same with power meters. Like just while we're back on that, it's like <laughs> how, how many cyclists do we have come in and go, oh, whatever. I'm not going to name a power meter here, but we all, yeah. we all know which ones are less accurate than others. But it's like it's the same thing. How frustrating is it when you just know that the number's not accurate? Like it's yeah, it's yeah. the same thing, just on a much. <laughs> much bigger scale uh, and yeah, this huge. Is like this is in, insight that you, you just can't obtain some of this information in the field and I, I guess that's where we're also like in terms of importance for athletes across all levels of performance like amateurs right through the really pointy end elite it's this this is just something you can't field test you can you can you can play around and, and practice some different nutritional strategies sure but this this minimizes a lot of the like instead of going out and having to do 10 different sessions on 10 different nutritional strategies and finding which one might work better. This is just a much, much easier way of obtaining that info in a much shorter space of time um, to then be able to make those manipulations in the field with more accuracy. So a lot, lot of positive to it. There's a lot of, it's a, uh, there's so much guesswork because you can't even say that if I'm riding at a heart rate of 150, I'm using X percentage of fat and X percentage of carb because it's so determined on your, on your insulin levels. So you could be riding at 150 and using, let's say 150 heart rate and using 80% fat, but then you have a gel and all of a sudden, sudden now using 50% fat and it's a 50-50 ratio. Because it, it's so, it's not just, it's not as easy as it might be with say blood lactate and oxygen consumption with that linear relationship between heart rate or, or intensity and, and those metrics. It is linear, but then there's external variables occurring, whether that be um, dehydration, whether that be, 
um, an insulin spike through having a gel, whether that be through the heat and humidity and things like that. So it's not quite as linear. So there are a lot of extra variables that you need to consider when it comes to nutrition. Um, the only thing that this wouldn't solve is knowing how many, like what, what amount of glucose or glycogen you had stored left in the muscles. So like if you got to the end of a 70.3 and you didn't hit the wall, that's a success. But we don't know, did you have five minutes worth of carbs left or did you have an hour's worth of carbs left? That's the only thing it doesn't solve. But at the same time, if you can figure out a, a strategy, a nutritional strategy and a pacing strategy where you can replace, you know, most or all of the glycogen that you're depleting, then it's a safe bet. And we can make some general assumptions based on body mass and, and sorry, specifically muscle mass of, of your resting storage of glycogen. But it's definitely a step in the right direction. If we know that if you weigh approximate body weight, you're going to have approximately this number of grams of carbohydrates, and then you can figure out at, at each intensity how much carb you're using, um, then you'll be able to replace that. Okay. Obviously you want to increase fat burning, not because fat's a, a better fuel source or anything, just because you've got unlimited stores of it, limited glycogen, unlimited fat. So if we can figure out how much carbohydrate you're burning each hour at a certain intensity, and we can try to replace based on some assumptions of, of, your, of your resting storage, if we try to replace enough to get you through the end of a race, then you're not going to hit the wall and you're going to be able to maintain your intensity. So still a little bit of guesswork, but definitely a, a, a big leap in the right direction. Yeah, the 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 rate of use is the part that you you can obtain. It's the it's the knowing how much you already had stored prior. Um that, that's that's the tricky bit. But I, I'd also like just on your point before about yeah, do we know if we had five minutes left or do we have half an hour left? Part of that I kind of go from a practical perspective, it's pretty irrelevant if if you're able to main like if we can go into a race and go this is the intensity i want to maintain that is going to get me my pb or get me a qualifying spot or or, or win my category or whatever it might be this is the pace we, we're aiming to maintain and if you can get to the finish line and be like i maintain that pretty well like everyone, there's going to be some slight differences because of those external variables of dehydration and environmental conditions and how difficult was the course sure but i i I might be wrong here, but I would think most of the most of the athletes that I've worked with across all levels would would get, be like, if I can maintain the pace I was aiming to go in at, and it's going to tick the box of or get me very very close to what I was trying to achieve in this race, um, if anything exceeded because I was able to hold a slightly higher intensity than what I thought, or maybe bang on the intensity I wanted to, and and I can get to the end and feel like if I had to have gone another five or ten minutes, I would have got there anyway or if i had to go a bit more i mean extending out much further past that you're like okay probably that was just a we just paced a bit too conservative if it was if you felt like you had half an hour left left in the legs at the end of 70.3 you've probably gone out a bit too easy um but i sort of look at that and go that's that's the main goal isn't it it's like if you can get to the end and be like if i really had to do a bit more i could have but i've, I've sort of nailed it I've, I've hit the line and i've hit the line strong and if a lot of that's coming down to nutrition, that's that's a huge win um, in terms of having that insight um, to be able to pull that off. So, like we said, let, yeah. let us know. We'll put that we'll put that survey down in the description and, and maybe send it out via email as well. Um, let, let us know what your thoughts are in, in some of this, and be interested to see what what people are interested in. Um, whether it is something of interest to a, to a lot of athletes who have followed our stuff or would be coming into the lab to to maybe want to get get some of this testing done. Let us know.
Yeah, beauty. Let's wrap it up there, mate. So as, as Nick said, if you would find value, and when we say value, it's not like we're giving it out for free. Like it's a big investment for us. So it needs to be something that you would buy. And I don't know the pricing or anything like that, but if it's something that you would invest in to find out your nutritional information, percentage of fat versus percentage of carbohydrate at different intensities so you can get a tailored race nutrition plan. Where if you have, if you want to figure out why you're getting gastrointestinal upset by taking a certain number of gels, et cetera. Um, if you want to know the type of food, the amount of fuel, the timing of the nutrition, the amount of carbohydrates and fats that you need to consume, anything like that, if that's going to be valuable for you and it would be something you'd be willing to invest money into to, to find out, complete the, sur- even, uh, complete the survey below regardless, but, but definitely say, hey, yes, we're keen. And, and the reason I'm saying this is because it's like we're going to use this as a validator. Uh, and I don't want you to say, hey, yeah, I'd, I'd buy it. And you wouldn't because at the end of the day, we're going to be putting more than $50,000 into this piece of equipment plus consumables to get it going. So uh, if we're going to do it, we want to do it right. And we want to, we want people to actually uh, to find value in it and invest in it themselves. So fill out the survey. Hopefully you found this useful. Any follow-up questions, send them to Nick, nick at metsperformance.com and we'll speak to you on the next episode. Hey podcast, Nick from Mets here. Hopefully you enjoyed another great episode of the Physiology Secrets podcast. If you want to keep up to date with any future episodes we produce, other content we create here, or just anything that's happening in the lab here in general, be sure to click the link below. Sign up to our weekly updates. We're going to receive some absolute gold in terms of what's happening in the lab, what are we seeing and observing, and also some of our old content as well that you might have missed to further understand the science behind endurance performance. So if you are interested, make sure you do click the link below, sign up for those weekly updates, and head over to our social media as well. Follow us along at Instagram, at Mets Performance. Head over to Facebook. We have a great YouTube channel as well. Be sure to check out all of our great content that is already up there, but also some of the great stuff that is coming soon. Thanks again. Be sure to share the podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed another episode and we'll see you in the next one.